exalted over all things. I really love that song. It speaks, in fact, as many of you know, we're in the midst of an interesting sermon series on our vision for our church that we do here in August. And last week or a couple of weeks ago, we talked about values. What do we value? And we said the most the overarching value is that we want to see God glorified in all that we do. No matter what it is, whether it's an individual or whether it's us as a church body, we do nothing for our own acclaim or fame, but we want to do all things that God may receive the glory. So again, we're in the midst of a unique sermon series uh, this month. In fact, we take this month of August usually to do this type of thing. And in fact, next month, we're going to be talking a little bit about what it means to be a church member. So another unique sermon series here to kind of kick off our fall in August and in September. But today we're talking specifically about strategy. In just a few moments, we'll show you the whole of the vision frame if you're here today for the first time this month. But today we're talking about strategy. Now, a really interesting bit of historical strategy, in fact, a strategy that failed uh, magnificently, was the Battle of Waterloo. I'm kind of giving you a little history lesson here. And some of you are like, what? The Napoleonic Wars, Second Napoleonic War, about 1850. Uh, maybe it's just kind of the clouds are, are, are just kind of parting a little bit in your mind. Some of you are like, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. But uh, Napoleon, that great battle commander, um, he actually had fallen ill at this point and had given some of the command over to Michel Ney, one of his commanders. And, and one of the greatest uh, bits of failed strategy in the history of warfare, we see that uh, Michel Ney had a plan to attack in a certain way at the Battle of Waterloo. His forces were repelled, but here's where the really poor strategy came in. Instead of coming back and scratching his chin a little bit, talking with his uh, other commanders and saying, hmm, that didn't work so well. I wonder what we should do. They went back to the well over and over again and basically had the same plan, the same strategy, which led to tons of casualties in this infamous battle of Waterloo. And so we know that strategy is extremely important. And whatever it is that we're called to do, no matter whatever it, whatever it is, whatever task we take in the midst of our lives, and especially when it comes to undertaking the greatest task that any believer and any church, which is made up of a group of believers just like this, the greatest task that we've been given, which we see in Matthew chapter 28, which is the Great Commission to go and make disciples. Now, here's the thing. I'm going to put it up here, our vision frame. Again, if this is your first week here, um, this is, if it just stays on a page or stays on a board back there in the cafe, it means nothing, right? But we do need to know what are we aiming at? What is our vision? What is God's vision that he's given us? And it starts right up here at the top, which we talked about a few weeks ago, our mission. Now, basically, every church has the exact same mission. Any church, whether it's here or whether we talked about earlier in the service in southwestern China, we all have the same mission, which is based upon the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, which is to go into all the world and make disciples. Now, we say it in kind of a unique way here. We love this language in our context. It answers the question of what are we supposed to be doing? We are leading people to follow Jesus and live like Jesus. So as we've talked about in the last few weeks, We're using the same language that Jesus did for those that give their life to him, that surrender to him, as he says in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, to repent, to turn away from your old way of life, and turn unto him. What does he say? What is his call to them? To follow me. To follow me. So we are leading people. We can't make people follow Jesus, but it's our calling as ambassadors of Christ, as individuals, and then as a church made up as ambassadors, made up of ambassadors to Christ, 
that we are called to lead people, to follow Jesus, and what? To live like Jesus. So making a disciple, there's two sides to the same coin. Seeing someone come to faith in Christ, which we may kind of classically call evangelism, leading people to Christ or mission in our daily lives. We're living on mission. We are trying to see people come to faith in Jesus. But also a disciple is one who matures in Jesus, one who grows up, matures in their faith, follows the the teachings of Jesus, follows the teachings of Scripture, and lives them out. We know that great passage in James. Uh, James makes the, the, the illustration of a man who looks at a mirror and then walks away and forgets what his face looks like. He says, that's what it's like if you read Scripture and you don't leave and go do what it says, right? So when a, a disciple is one who comes to faith in Jesus Christ, and a disciple is one who is then growing in their relationship with Jesus. Now, here's the thing. If we're growing in our relationship with Jesus, and we're becoming more and more like Jesus every day, how's it going to play itself out practically in our daily lives? We are going to, not perfectly, but we are going to live like Jesus. So how do we uh, how do we say in kind of our context the mission that every church has been given, whether it's here to China and everywhere in between, uh, what, what is the mission that we have? It's to make disciples. And so we're leading people to follow Jesus and live like Jesus. And then what do we value? What do we value? Why are we doing it? Because we value these things. Ultimately, we, we value the glory of God, which is why you see it in bold there. It's kind of slightly bold in this picture, but it's in bold, trust me. And we, we glorify God. Ultimately, we do it out of gratitude for what God has done for us, that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, in fact, God the Son, to this earth to take on flesh, ultimately to die on the cross for us. Out of gratitude, we do it. But we value these things. We value the glory of God, that, he is, that we are glorifying God in all that we do. We also value reaching people, reaching people. That we're not us for no more or a holy huddle or whatever illustration you might have heard. But we want to have the same eyes that Jesus did in Matthew chapter 9 where he looked out upon the crowds and it said that he wept because they were like sheep without a shepherd. We don't have to think very long before we know someone that we're close to in our lives. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's someone in our own family that is broken. They don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And maybe it's buried deep within. Maybe they do enough stuff during their day. Maybe they're on social media enough. Or maybe they just fill their lives with enough stuff that they kind of tamp down that hopelessness. But eventually, at some point, there's going to be some quiet in their life. Maybe a proverbial quiet, if you will, where there's just something and they feel it. They feel it there. And that's because we know that they're empty without Jesus Christ. So we value reaching people. We value life change that kind of tags there with living like Jesus. Authentic relationships. We're going to talk a little bit about that here in a few moments uh, today during strategy. But that life change, we believe, happens best in the midst of authentic relationships. A church body like this shouldn't just be people that are like ships passing in a night that we kind of wave at each other on Sunday morning and say, hey, we're all kind of coming uh, for the worship service and come to hear the sermon, come to hear the Bible study before that. No, we should have authentic relationships. As we've said, do I have a 2 a.m. friend? Do I have someone that I can call at 2 a.m. and pour my heart out to because I'm broken? Authentic relationships and then lifestyle worship. We said when we come in here on Sunday morning, when we come to a worship service like this, this should be an overflow, an overflow of our lives lived Monday through Saturday in worship to the Lord. Offering up, as it says in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, offering up our bodies as living sacrifices and therefore our lives, sacrifices unto God. And then we said measures. A lot of these things kind of relate to the values, but have I met with God today? Have I spent time with him in his word? 
Have I made those authentic relationships that we value so highly? Am I a sacrificial giver? Do I give of my time, talent, and my treasure? There's your typical pastor alliteration, right? Do I give of my time? Do I give of my possessions that God has given to me? And do I give of, uh, of the talent that I have, or is it kind of a funny way of saying our abilities, the things that we can use to strengthen this local body of Christ? Am I close to someone far from God? It's talking about that reaching people. Do, do I, am I purposefully living on mission with someone that I know that doesn't know Christ? Am I seeking to develop those relationships? If you're visiting with us here today and you wonder what in the world is that board over there that says 500 breakthroughs, that 500 breakthrough board is a, is a goal that we've set for ourselves as a church body and that we are celebrating each time we are able to make a breakthrough with someone that doesn't know Christ as their Savior. It may be that you have an opportunity with a waiter or a waitress, whatever it may be, to share the verbal gospel of Jesus Christ with them right there. But it may be someone in your life, someone that you work with, and an incredible open door in that relationship is the fact that they have a difficulty in their life. Maybe they've had a loss in their life, and you pray with them. You've done nothing more than speak about sports or speak about television shows or whatever it may be, and you say, can I pray for you about that? That's a big deal. And if you look five years down the road and they may give their life to Christ, you will look back on that breakthrough and many others just like it. And you say, those are really important. That's what that's all about. And so when we talk about, am I close to someone far from God? And then again, does my life reflect Jesus? So we're going to talk today about strategy. Strategy. Now, we, of course, when we talk about strategy, even throw the word out there, we want to make sure it doesn't sound clinical at all. But we have to know, how are we going to accomplish uh, anything that we do. How are we going to accomplish any goal? And our goal is to lead people to follow Jesus and live like Jesus. And we go to one of these great passages today, one of these sort of seminal passages in all of Scripture about good strategy. And we have to remember that God is a God of order. God is a God that ordered our incredibly complex universe. We all celebrated this solar eclipse this last week. And I don't know if some of you went up in like the 100% path, you know, but I was hoping it would be a little bit darker out here. I knew it wasn't going to be dark. You know, we were in the 90% path, but you know, I was hoping, man, we can get some like a little more darkness than this. One of the coolest things about it, I don't know if you noticed the leaves, the shadows of the leaves out on the sidewalks are like scalloped looking because of the eclipse. But you think about that. If our, if our, if our moon was, was just a fraction off one way or the other, you wouldn't see that same effect. It's just one of the pieces of loads and loads and scores and scores of evidence that our universe is a universe of order that's not here by happenstance, but, but created by a wonderful God. And so when we look at anything that he's called us to, it is within our calling and our charge and what he's given us to be one's that, that, that lay out a strategy for that. And the thing that we must do is we must first go, not to our own minds, not to our own intellect, but right here to the Word of God. Because there is no strategy. There's no strategy that God will honor that does not honor God. You know, I love that passage in jo- uh, Joshua chapter 6, where Joshua is going out before an army. And, and he has thousands upon thousands of people, and he's still uh, overmatched by the army that he's facing. And God whittles it down continues to whittle it down to just a few hundred people. Why did he do that? And, 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 and oftentimes we'll have this application, false application, the fact that he whittled it down to this, this group of elite commandos. No, that wasn't it. It may, have been, it may as well have been me that was in the army. The point was God whittled that army so far down that no one else could get the credit for the victory other than God, other than God. And so again, anything that we do, any way that we accomplish our calling must be something that brings glory and honor to God. 
And so when we talk about this, we're going to uh, use Exodus chapter 18 again as a unique sermon uh, today that we're walking through as this sort of jumping off point. And then when we get to the end, we're going to be heavily weighted towards application, looking at these six things here and how they fit in the context of our church. But again, Exodus chapter 18, if you'll open there with me, we see that Moses was just absolutely swamped with a really important task, a really important task of judging the people of uh, whether it be issue large and small, bringing them, keeping order with the people, and being a people that, in, that reflected the integrity of God. You think about this, as they had all the peoples of the world around them, and they were bearing witness of, what they, of who they said was the one true ultimate God, but if they are a people full of squabbles and full of sin, what sort of an impression does that make on the world around them? Incredibly important job. And so... Uh, Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, comes to him and observes all of this, and then he says, Moses, can I have a word with you a minute? Let me, let me speak to you a minute. Do you mind if I speak some wisdom into your life? And in verse 13, it says this, And so it was on the next day that Moses sat and judged the people, and the people stood before Moses from morning until evening. Morning till evening. And so when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did for the people, he said, What is this thing that you're doing for the people? Why do, you, why do you alone sit and all the people stand before you morning and evening? So first of all, he knew that there was a clear task. This needed to be done. It was incredibly important. It reflects our mission in the church that we're leading people to follow Jesus and live like Jesus. But we have to ask ourselves, what is the best way in our context to accomplish this? But Moses' father-in-law in verse 14 started asking the hard questions, right? He had to ask the hard questions and say, you know, are you really organized to accomplish this? And so when we think about any local church like, like ourselves, any, any local church, unless it's a brand new church, can become and is an established church. And one of the things that happens in any sort of church that's established for any length of time is that we have to be careful to avoid what some might call mission drift, drifting away from the mission that we've been given, which is, just like every church, the globe over is to make disciples. And again, as we say it specifically in our context, leading people to follow Jesus and live like Jesus. And what happens if we are not laser-like focused and make sure that we're not asking, or if we're not asking ourselves the hard questions, are we really organized and focused in such a way to accomplish this, we can start to drift away with a lot of things that are really good, a lot of things that are really good, but may not be laser-like focused on accomplishing the mission of making disciples. That's the difficult thing about it in any local church is that anything that we might kind of fill our time with and fill our calendars with as individuals or as a church, hardly any of them of those things that you could say are intrinsically bad. I mean, hardly any ideas that might come across my desk or hardly any uh, ideas that might come to you as leaders throughout this church are, are just truly unbiblical ideas, right? There's lots of good things that we could be doing, but we have to be focused we have to be focused on really accomplishing that mission of making disciples. And so in verse 15, Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to inquire of me, uh, because the people come to me to inquire of God, that's why I do this. When they have a difficulty, they come to me. I judge them between one or the other, between one and the other, and I make known the statutes of the God's uh, statutes of God and his laws. And, and Jethro, you can almost hear him saying, you're going to read between the lines. He's like, I get that. That's not the issue. I understand what's happening. That's what we do. But what it does reflect is, here's the thing. Pride can drive us to try to go it alone. 
Pride can, can drive us to try to go it alone. Even as a pastor or even as staff, we can, pride can say, okay, I, I can get this. I can figure this out. I can do this. Not only that, but poor planning, which may be the reflection here with Moses. Poor planning can, can cause us to drive it alone. And here's the thing. Whenever we do this, whenever we try to go it alone, we squander and we squelch and we leave a, a wake of people not being developed like they should have and not being accomplished and not accomplishing this great call of God that all of us have been given. So verse 17 says this, So Moses' father-in-law said to him, The thing you do is not good. Both you and these people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out, for this thing is too much for you. You are not able to perform it by yourself. Here's the thing, even a wonderful task, even a good task can go sour based on poor strategy. Because here's the thing, if we're not focused as a church body on accomplishing that mission of making disciples, we can, at the end of five years, ten years, whatever it may be, we can say we've done, we've done a ton of work, we've done a ton of busy work with very little accomplished. And so it means we have to focus, focus on what God has called us to do. You see, here's the thing. We're going to put it on the screen. Write this down. Lack of participation. Lack of participation. And oftentimes, it's the participation that leadership like myself robs the church body of because we try to go it alone. Lack of participation will lead to the fatigue of the few and to the immaturity of the many. And to the immaturity of the many. See, here's the thing. Not only do when, when and maybe... It, me as a pastor or us as individual leaders of ministries, whatever it may be, when we try to go it alone, it leads to our fatigue, but also we rob our people of developing as spiritual leaders, developing as spiritual leaders. And again, in verse 19, it says this as we continue on. Now Jethro says to him, listen now to my voice, and I will give you counsel, and God will be with you. Stand before God for the people, so that you may bring the difficulties to God. You know what he's doing when he's standing before God? That is a very fancy way of saying something that is very practical, very simple, but yet the most powerful thing that we can do as believers in Jesus Christ to accomplish the mission. We're going to get to it in greater detail in a minute, but it is just this. It is bringing those difficulties to God. It is going to our God in prayer. You know, the wonderful picture that we see in Hebrews chapter 4, I love the book of Hebrews because it contrasts the old covenant with the new. And, and he says, the people of old, they could not come boldly before God. It was one man, which was the great high priest, once a year that could come into the Holy of Holies where God's presence resided. But, he, but it says that when Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross and that veil was symbolically torn in two, it was torn in two in the temple, it was a great symbolism of the fact that we have now been ushered into the presence of God, those who know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And one of the great benefits of being ushered into the presence of God, being adopted into his family, is the fact that we can come, as it says in 4.16 of Hebrews, we can come boldly before his throne. You see, it's funny, as we talk about it, prayer, as, you, as you'll see or you saw just a moment ago, it's kind of funny almost to put prayer as a strategy. It almost seems kind of like cold and calculating, doesn't it? But really, in truthfulness, what greater strategy, what greater plan is there? How could we do anything without starting with prayer as individuals or as a corporate body known as the church? It's the greatest strategy. Bring these issues to God. Pray. 
pray before our God and Father. Verses 20 and 21. And you shall teach them. You shall teach the people the statutes and the laws and show them the way in which they must walk and work and what they must do. Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men, such as those who fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands and rulers of hundreds, of fifties and rulers of tens. We have this, just this, this great strategy here. But what I want to get back to is just the character, not only of the people, but those that they called as leaders. You see, the thing is, one of the greatest bits of strategy, if you will, that we're going to get to in just a moment as we talk about it in, in more detail, is that we must be maturing, maturing as members of this local body of Christ. As Christians, as followers, as little Christ, that's what Christian means, that we must be maturing so that we are daily, not perfectly, but we are living like Jesus. The first great thing is we must be proactive in maturing ourselves, growing in our relationship and growing together as a church body. And also in verse 21, it talks about just these call, the calling of these people that are to be selected, these men that are to be called out to be leaders. So when you couple 20 and 21 together, it talks greatly about that culture of maturity, of spiritual maturity, those that are not living perfectly, understandably, but that we are daily trying to grow closer and closer to Jesus Christ, and daily we are living more and more like Jesus there's a great uh, leadership quote, which is just a secular leadership quote, but it's so true, it so greatly applies in such great truth in a local church. It's by Peter Drucker, and it says, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Culture eats strategy for breakfast. I mentioned it a couple weeks ago. And what it means is it doesn't matter how wonderful of a strategy we have laid out. If the culture of our church is not one where we are, want, where we are growing in maturity and where we desire what God desires, that we want to glorify him and we want to see people that are far from God come to faith and maturity in Jesus Christ. You see, we have to be ones that, 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 that our hearts are changing. We're maturing and ones that value not just leadership, Stop, but spiritual leadership, godly leadership. If we don't, the thing that we'll gain is a Christian social club where we're doing a lot of stuff, we're a well-oiled machine, but we're never accomplishing the mission of making disciples. So what was his attributes that, that Jethro said, of course, just in the wisdom of God? What did he say you need to be looking for? Able, of course, someone that is able to do whatever it is that they're called to do in the midst of a local church. And guess what? You are able to do something. You are able to do something. There is no one that should be sitting back without a hand on the rope of us trying to accomplish our mission to make disciples in this local church. Everyone's able to do something. Next thing he says is the fear of God. I mean, that reverent respect, knowing that God is number one in your life and that everything else is a distant second. Men of truth, that is integrity and and men and women that are immersed in the truth of God's word. How do we grow in truth? How do we live in integrity? We immerse ourselves right here in God's word. We live in the word and we live it out. And then also, I love this one, hating covetousness. Hating covetousness. How many conflicts in our lives, whether it be at home, whether it be in our place of work and in the local church, God forbid, how many, how many conflicts find their root in covetousness? So he says, Abel, those that fear God, men of truth and those that hate covetousness. 
And in verse 22, it says this as he continues on, and let them judge the people at all times. Then it will be that very great matter that they shall bring to you, but every small matter they themselves shall judge, so it will be easier with you, for they will what? Bear the burden with you. Bear the burden with you. I use that term a lot, and it's so applicable to a local church that we must all have our hand on the rope. We are all able to do something. We're all able to do something, and all of us, if you are a member of this local church and a member of any local church, we are called to have our hand on the rope of accomplishing the mission of God in the midst of that local church. And again, as we finish this section here in verse 23, as we move into a section of application, it says, and if you do this thing, if you do this thing and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure and all the people will also go to their place in peace. When we lay this out, when we do it God's way, there's endurance for all levels of leadership and there is peace for all levels of leadership. And what I want to do is I want to put the vision frame back up here again as we enter into this section here as we say, well, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us? Would you flip over to Acts chapter 2 for me? Acts chapter 2, very familiar passage. We go here quite often because it's, and as we should, because when we look at this, we say, what was the local church? In the purest sense of the local church, in its purest form, its genesis, if you will, what was the local church doing? And I love, I think we see, and we see these things that, that we are called to do in points of our strategy. Of course, we'll not get into great detail and, 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 and walk these through in great detail. But as these sort of placeholders and these sort of overarching categories we see these things reflected very powerfully in this passage. And so this is, again, the, the, the early church. Jesus Christ has, was dead, buried, and risen from the grave. He's ascended into heaven, given his local church, those followers, the calling to make disciples. And again, the, 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 the way, as it was known at this time, followers in Jesus Christ, Christianity in its early stages are spreading like wildfire. And so it's a peeking in of the local church, the early church, and said, what were they doing? And when he, many other words, verse 40, uh, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word, that was Peter that was preaching, were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And here's what happened. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. It was, it was gathering not only for fellowship meals, but as we see this double use of this breaking of bread, we see also a remembrance of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice through what we know as the Lord's Supper. And then verse 43, then fear came upon every soul. That's that reverent respect for God. Fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. God was paving the way for his work. He may not do it with miraculous signs as we see here in this transition period in history, but he will go before you when you seek to reach those that are far from God that you know that you're close to. Now all, verse 44, who believed were together, this community, this connection, and had all things in common. And they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. They were so connected one to another that they were willing to give to one another whatever it took. So when we look at this passage and others, as we prayerfully walked through this about a year ago, we said, what are these things? What are some points of category? Again, not getting into great detail today. What are some points of category for what we're going to do? What, what could we say is how are we going to accomplish this mission? First of all, it sounds almost funny to say so, but the more we talked about it, we said, of course, how can we do anything else but start with prayer? Start with prayer. We must pray. We must pray. We see there in verse 42, in fact, it was a very important part of the early church. 
Proverbs 16, 9 says this, a man's heart plans his ways, a man's heart plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. So it doesn't matter what sort of plan we lay out or strategy we lay out. If we're not on our knees before God saying, God, in this particular instance, whatever it is that we're called to this month or the next to accomplish that mission, what are we called to do? It doesn't matter how much we plan our ways. If God is not called upon, he will not honor his plans. He will not honor whatever it may be. So a man heart plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. I love a couple of quotes that we're going to put here on the screen for you too. No learning... No learning can make up for the failure to pray. This is E.M. Bounds. I love E.M. Bounds on prayer. No learning can make up for the failure to pray. He says it doesn't matter how much you've learned if you don't pray. No earnestness, no diligence, no studies, no gifts will supply its lack. We must pray. We must pray. Also, the great Charles Spurgeon said this, I would love rather to teach one man to pray than 10 men to preach. Well, that's the truth. He said, I would rather teach one man to pray than 10 men to preach. Folks, here's the thing. You want to get really down to the nuts and bolts and the nitty gritty? 8.30 a.m. right out here in our East Atrium, right out there against the windows. Every Sunday morning, we have a prayer time where we gather together of all ages. Could I challenge you to come and be a part of that prayer time where we gather together and pray that the Lord would do great work and would revive us again? So not only do we think about in our personal lives, but also the church, we think about prayer. We also now think about me personally. If I'm saying in my daily life, in my daily life, just as I go through my life, what am I called to do? What do I need to do as a believer? Here's what you need to do. You need to be reaching and growing, reach and grow. We see in verse 47 of Acts chapter 2 that we just read, he said that the Lord was adding to the church daily. And as they were doing that, they were continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. It means that they were individually, they were reaching those around them, and they were growing in their faith. They were becoming more like Jesus Christ. Now we say, of course, this specifically is this sort of category of strategy, if you will, relates specifically to me in my daily life, proverbially, if you will, like Monday through Saturday type of life. But it doesn't mean that in uh, our corporate context and when we come together on Sunday or Wednesday or maybe through the weeks in small groups or whatever it may be, that we're not also reaching people and growing. Of course not. But we want to say, what are you, what am I called to do? When I go out into my daily life, wherever it may be, my mission field that God's called me to do, what do I need to be doing? Reaching and growing. Colossians 1, 28 and 29. I love these. This is how much it kind of mirrors the Great Commission. It says, him we preach. This is Paul writing in Colossians to the, to the believers at Colossae. And he says, speaking of himself and sort of his cohorts, his traveling companions of apostles, he says, him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Jesus Christ. And he says, what? To this end, I also labor, labor, striving according to his working which works in me mightily. He says, so I'm out there working hard to accomplish this mission of reaching and growing, not only in my own life, but helping others to grow. And I'm doing it all laboring, but guess what? I'm not laboring in my own strength. I go and I labor in the strength of Jesus Christ. He goes before me. So we're called to be reaching and growing. And now we obviously see this sort of crossing over, as I mentioned just a moment ago, within corporate context. But you say to yourself, okay, weekly, Weekly, we're really getting down to the nuts and bolts now. Pastor Weekly, what, as a member of this local church, what am I expected to do weekly within this sort of corporate context? 
We see that reflected in worship, connect, and serve. Again, pastor, what am I called to do? As I'm a member of this local church, what am I expected to do as a member of this local church in a weekly corporate context? First of all, worship. We see that they were called to praise God. We see it was just the midst of what they were doing. They were praising God. When we come into this place, when we are worshiping the Lord, as I mentioned earlier, worship should be an overflow of our lives lived Monday through Saturday. We should be out there worshiping the Lord with our bodies and by extension our lives. And and we are people of integrity and holiness and character and doing it all with the joy of the Lord so that we have opportunities to share the good news, the gospel. And guess what? When we come into this place... It isn't so much or exclusively a spiritual fill-up, although it kind of takes a bit of that role as well, but it's something that we should be coming together as, as, as those launched out from a battleship accomplishing their mission. We're coming back now for debriefing. We're coming back to lick our wounds, as sometimes those things happen when we're living on mission for Lord, and we're to do it with our arms around each other, looking unto heaven, proverbially, if you will, and worshiping our Lord worshiping our Lord. We're called each week as a member of Metropolitan Baptist Church, you are expected to worship together, to worship with one another corporately doing that. Also to connect, to connect. This reflects when we said we, we believe we grow best in the midst of authentic relationships. You see, we don't believe you grow as effectively if we're just hearing like this, just lecture style. I think there's a lot that you can get from this. I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't believe so. But we believe that in order to grow the way that God intends for us to grow so that we're living like Jesus, we also need that time where that Proverbs 27, 17 type of time where it's like as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We need that type of time where we're connecting with one another, where we're building relationships such that we can encourage one another and we can challenge one another to grow in relationship with Jesus Christ. So whether that be a connection time and during a Sunday morning Bible study or it's a connection time in an in-home small group, whatever it may be, we need that time weekly where we are connecting on a smaller level than just this so that we may challenge and encourage one another to grow in relationship with Jesus. And also, we're all called to serve. So weekly, we're called to worship, we're called to connect, and then we're called to serve. We see their sort of service, their togetherness, their willingness to serve one another in that context manifested itself where they, were, they had all things in common and they were willing to give to anyone who had a need. We also see reflected in the entirety of Scripture here in some of the epistles uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Peter 4.10, each one has received a gift. And as each one has received a gift, a spiritual gift, Remember when the, when the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in our lives, we are given one, at least one gift to serve the local church. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good servants of the manifold grace of God. You see, we're called to serve as well. And as a member of Metropolitan Baptist Church, those of you who are members here, we're called to serve each and every week in some context, whether it be a ministry whether it be a particular program of the church, whatever it may be, we're called to all have our hand on the rope and called to serve in some way. You see, here's the thing. We're going to kind of bring it full circle where we started. Any and all strategy, any and all strategy will fail, absolutely will fail, unless everyone, everyone has their hand on the rope. You see, here's the thing once more. Poor strategy will lead to the fatigue of the few and the immaturity of the many. 
And so when we are called together as a local body of Christ, we must all have our hand on the rope. We must all, we must all be engaged, serving, serving one another, ultimately serving the lost, ultimately serving for the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord God, as we come to you today, we know that strategy, when we talk about that in a vacuum, can just sound cold, but Lord, we know that it ultimately comes down to a plan of what, what are you calling us to do to accomplish your mission, and that is to make disciples. Help us to always remember as a church and as individuals uh, that calling of Proverbs sixteen nine: a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his paths. May it be that the first and foremost thing that we do as a body of, uh, as a local body of Christ and as individuals is that we labor in prayer. We say, God, what would you have us to do? How would you have us in our particular context with the opportunities that we have as a church or opportunities that we have as individuals at work, in our neighborhood, whatever it may be? God, what would you have us to do? How would you have us to accomplish your goal? And Lord, may we all have that, that sense of, You know, church isn't just a place to come and just a place to soak. But Lord, church, a local body of Christ is a place where, yes, we are are called in that midst to be encouraged. Sometimes to, to be lifted up when we are beaten down. But sometimes it's to be challenged to grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. And sometimes, and all the time, it's a place where we are called to put our hand on the rope and to accomplish the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ. God, we pray that as we leave this place, that you would help us to continue to grow and to reach those around us that desperately need Jesus. And in his name we pray, amen.